Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSome solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or a company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. GiveSum allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mrs. Miss Lauren J. Dwyer. How are you, Lauren? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing, Tyler? I am fabulous. I've been looking forward to this conversation for weeks, so I'm going to just rip right into it versus, uh, I can't even remember how we connected. I love it. It's Calgary. We always, one degree of separation, I think, is, is the universal truth here uh, in Western Canada. You are the academic chair for the School for Advanced Digital Technology at SAIT. So rather than me doing a poor job of explaining that, can you give us, give us a little bit of window into your department, what you do, and kind of what your world looks like every day, and then let's unpack it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So first, thanks so much for, for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, and yeah, uh, I'm the academic chair for data analytics and artificial intelligence in the School for Advanced Digital Technology uh, here over at SATE. And this is everything from you know developing programs and new programming and new courses for students uh, to managing the day-to-day operations of, of how a school runs you know, making sure that we've got teachers and, and classrooms to put them in hmm. and making sure that the students know what's most current, especially in the ever-evolving uh, climate of technology and getting them job ready. How the pretense of being current in an industry that seems to be screaming forward, and there are some milestones <laughs> and we'll talk about the chat GPTs and, you know, a lot of yeah, people yeah. said, man, we're going to look back and that inflection point of the end of November 2022 was the day it all changed. How do you stay current? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the technology, but even from an education perspective, that feels like an arduous, almost always behind the eight ball challenge of staying current with something that's moving so fast. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that. And it is and it isn't. There's okay. definitely benefits to being in this field, even if it is something that changes every you know five minutes. Okay. Um, the benefit is that assessment can always change for students topics that we bring into the classroom and that our instructors are bringing up daily and using as examples are always shifting. And it gives them a chance to, to always keep students, you know, on their toes and, and dipping their toes into the, the newest thing. Uh, but yeah, of course that comes with challenges. We can prepare for what we know and have to take a little bit of a guess at what we don't get, but there's, there's always opportunity there. And I, I think, especially in education around advanced digital technologies as our school's name uh, as our school's name suggests you have to move with this sort of forward and flexible mindset 
constantly looking ahead, but having the flexibility to recognize, okay, maybe we're going to pivot right instead of left. Uh, so there's definitely just a degree of flexibility to it. I would imagine like so much, and let's not just pick on, oh, it's only the world of advanced digital technology that's suffering from this. <laughs> yeah. The ability to understand fundamentals and be able to adapt and being able to you know meet what's coming at you with a, with a, with a foundation of knowledge to allow you there's not much that that doesn't hold true in. Let's just be clear. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and it's a job skill too, right? Like we're, yeah. we're preparing students for careers. And if we want them to be able to succeed in, in, any, in any area, and especially in tech, of course, but in any area, that ability to pivot, to, to change topics, to you know, pursue something new just off of an interest uh, and, and off of like the latest thing, that's a huge asset. And I'm going to take a wild guess that that's something that actually really lights you up. As this, I have the I have the the privilege of video, but you're literally were beaming when you were saying that in the way that you were saying it. What drew yeah. What drew you just a little bit? We won't go back to well when I was younger, but what drew you into this field and what got you really excited to go down this rabbit hole? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an odd intro into tech and into robotics, which is what my my original passion was, uh, in that I came at it via way of psychology. So like my undergrad was in psychology. I was really interested in mental health, thought I was going to go on to be a therapist. That career path didn't work out for me um, and applied and ended up doing a degree, like a master's degree in communication studies. And oddly enough, I was, I had missed the deadline for applications. Like once I was in the program and I missed the deadline for applications to help teach a class. And I really wanted to teach this class, but I missed the deadline. And so I ended up applying to a different class, Risk and Crisis Communications. I promise this is relevant to robots. <laughs> uh, and, and I sat down for that interview with this different instructor, one that I hadn't thought about working with. And, and she fully said, hey, so I looked at your resume. And this was a group interview, by the way, which was the most petrifying thing when you're being interviewed alongside other people. Um, and, and this professor looked at me and she's like, oh, okay, so I, I read your resume. You have research experience. I was like, yeah. So have you ever thought about working with robots? And until that moment, I had no idea that that was an option for me, that that was a path I could take, that I could go down that you know STEM kind of techie path. And I was like, no, no, I haven't, but I will. Uh, and, and she said, well, okay, cool. Because my lab and my group, um, actually made Hitchbot, this little hitchhiking robot that hitchhiked across Canada made it partway through the U S before coming to an unfortunate demise in Philly. And all of a sudden everything changed. I went from wanting to do nonprofit work and to do therapy work and to work in a more psychology based field to getting the chance to work with new technologies emerging robots, looking at how AI can be used to enhance social robots, uh, and, and really getting to dive into that. And so I literally went from from one possible life direction to another just because uh, my now mentor and friend and supervisor said, hey, what do you think about robots? And I was a giant nerd like that. <laughs> it's, it's very crazy how things can change that quickly. What do you say? I love that on so many on so many levels, and I think it is such a representation of. <clears throat> I might not have to be into robots, but I'm going to probably work alongside them somewhere in the next, you know, in the in the very near future of my <laughs> life. What do you say to somebody who's hearing you talk right now and go, "Well, I'm not a techie person, so therefore I'm not into that." And you couldn't have been more in. I would say, and I, that's a false. We'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe a false perception of you were way over on one side and then swung. Oh, if I'm into the humanities and 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 all that side of things. 
things. And all of a sudden, oh, well, how does that dove together? So we'll unpack that a little bit. But what would you say to somebody who's listening who's maybe had that fear or that story that some of us tell that, well, I'm not a tech person. I'm not into that. I don't, I don't know that world. So therefore, I put up these sometimes false walls around my ability to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I would say that there is a space in new technology and in and, and this area for everyone. And not just there's a space for everyone here. There is a distinct need for people to be able to actually be in this space that don't have that traditional tech background or who maybe don't have that degree in engineering, um, especially if you're coming from the humanities or social sciences, you're bringing a much needed perspective to some pretty advanced topics. Yes, but you don't have to be someone who codes to understand the impact that code could have. You don't have to be someone who builds the robot to recognize that, hey, maybe you want to do it with a certain design lens. Basically, this idea of new technology revolves around and requires people's perspectives from literally every single field and from so many different perspectives in order to become something that's ethical, in order to become something that's actually viable in our current society, and in order to be something that we can engage with and leave that interaction feeling good and feeling okay with the fact that we've just interacted with advanced technology. So yeah, I know that there's, there's space for literally everyone. I know people who worked in um, more in English and in marketing who are doing phenomenal work in robotics because they come at it from that creativity perspective and from that perspective of, okay, how's this going to interact with people? What is the people side of this? And that's something that we always have to keep in mind that we might have this new technology coming in, but technology is only one half of the equation. It needs to be able to interact with society in order for us to be able to engage with it. It's just when you start breaking down the, you know, oh, robotics, and I think it's easy to conjure up an image of sci-fi and the robot that's interacting with us. Then there's the reality of like, oh, you mean the robotic arm on the assembly line that puts the bolt in the hole. But now we've got things like ChatGPT and like the automation that's moving into just our everyday lives. These these devices we have in our palm of our hands are never out of arm's reach. So when you think about, or someone's listening and you think of robotics, is it easy to oversimplify and think about Hitcher or my robot assistant or my, my Roomba that goes around my house versus where things are very quickly evolving as this human machine or human technology interaction starts to evolve? Is that really the the chasm or that interesting divide that's going to make this part of all of our lives, whether we were ready or not, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I think you, you just got at it. You just nailed it right there. It's, it is a part of our lives. It already is there. And while it might not look the way we see it in movies, that doesn't mean that it's not already very present. Um, so, so because yeah, we have our Roombas and we have, you know, all of these other things that you can look around and say, Oh yeah, that's a robot. But, we're all using these like smartphones. So I realized that this is an audio medium and yep. I just use a visual Everyone listening, they're either using it to listen. <laughs> I think statistically, the majority of our listeners are using their phone to listen to this right now, or it, I guarantee it's with arm's reach. And if it's not, you're feeling stressed and you want to go get it. <laughs> yeah. But even the platform we're using to record this, uh, this uses AI. Most of your day-to-day interactions with various parts of the internet mm. and with various technologies use AI. Um, Google Maps is not just like if you're using it to get to and from work or to and from another place, see where there's traffic. That's not just someone plugging in the route for you and manually calculating it, right? Like that's something to keep in mind is that all of these pieces are are here. We've been engaging with them regularly. If you use, and I won't use the the 
the thing's name. But if you use, uh, say, Amazon's Alexa or and I'll say quietly Siri <laughs> or any of yep, the other yep. or any of the other voice activated assistants, that's artificial intelligence. And the the fact that we're seeing it now more prominently, uh, yes, of course, is going to cause people to be a bit more anxious. You know, Chat GPT being that example that you brought up earlier. You know, we're actually it's becoming accessible for mainstream, and you don't necessarily have to be an engineer or a coder to use it and engage with it. But it's not the first, and it won't be the last. Of, of the pieces of this really advanced futuristic tech that we're already engaging with. So does it look like the Jetsons? Maybe not, but it's not necessarily going to have to look that advanced for it to already be having such a significant impact. Well, and there's so many sci-fi examples where it doesn't look exactly <laughs> like, but we, you know, the tricorder on Star Trek doesn't look that far different than the phone. We all flip in our hands to communicate and do all the things, not to geek out on who's, who, which yeah, yeah. sci-fi camp you come from. <laughs> You're Trekkie, <laughs> Star Wars, what are you into? Um, more obscure yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, talk, what, what, you just recently completed, you've now completed your PhD, correct? Yes. Okay. And your PhD yes, was in? Um, okay. Are we ready for the mouthful? Like you I'm ready. I'm, uh, I'm sitting down. Okay. I'm sitting down. I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the actual degree is in communication and culture, technology, and practice. And what my actual dissertation was on was, uh, it was titled isolated circuits, human experience for social robot design for the future of loneliness. So in a nutshell, this degree looked at social and cultural implications of design and how we design uh, new technologies, specifically social robots and companion robots in this case, for individuals experiencing loneliness. So I spent a good portion of 2020, actually, and 2021 uh, studying loneliness and lonely people and figuring out what that experience was and what it looked like. And then also studying designers and and what their design process was for creating these robots and and what a companion robot would look like and could do. And if it was even something that we should be doing or would want to be doing and like what role it could play in helping to ease some of those really negative experiences because no one's going to lie to you and pretend that loneliness is fun. No doubt. Did you, had you, had you landed on that before COVID showed up? Uh, yeah, actually. Okay. I I'm like, had, I'm was, like, wow, the world just yeah. provided you with a Petri dish. Unfortunately, that oh, was thrust really upon did. so many of us. And I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to get enough people to answer my survey because yes, we know that loneliness is absolutely, uh, loneliness is something that yes, we, we all know exists and, you know, it's fairly universal of an experience, but there was such a stigma to it that well, no there's one a would shame. talk about There's it. a shame attached to it for sure. Well, absolutely. But never have we, have we all been brought to our knees simultaneously by something like COVID. And I've had that said, especially in the first six months before the political football started getting thrown around. But those first few months, yeah. that was a, what the heck is going on time for everybody? <laughs> it wasn't rich, exactly. poor. Uh, there were, you know, obviously there was different effects up and down the socioeconomic, but for the mm-hmm. fundamentally most part, we were all thrust into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely an experience where everyone suddenly was like, okay, hmm. now it's pretty clear that I'm not the only lonely person. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's experiencing this. So out of nowhere, I went from, oh no, I'm never going to get enough people to answer my surveys and do my expert interviews or do my, my follow-up interviews uh, where, for people with that experience. And then suddenly it was just like, oh no, everyone's willing to. Everyone is willing to say, hey, actually, I'm really lonely right now. And that was very powerful and I was very lucky in some regards that I was able to get as much data as I did. But at the same time, of course, I would have preferred if, 
you know, 200 plus people hadn't been incredibly lonely and had to answer my survey. Yeah. Uh, Curious things you thought before that you were surprised about or that showed up really differently afterwards through, because this is a multi-year journey you were on. I'm assuming it's hard. We're humans. We have biases. We have assumptions. We have beliefs. We have our own hypothesis. The willingness to let those get blown up at the presence of new information is, is a skill unto itself, but I can only imagine. So any, any kind of standouts for you that like, wow, I thought this and man, was I, was I incorrect or what, what I, I stood to be informed differently. <laughs> yeah. There, there were a couple of big things that, that really came about like during like this, like, again, like you said, multi-year journey. Um, the first being, so I, I added on just like, you know, just, just like with when I first got my first job or when I first got into robotics, this, this kind of just happened on a whim. Um, the last question I asked everyone I interviewed, um, from experts in loneliness, experts in robotics to people with lived experience was, uh, you know, I'm just curious, uh, do you think loneliness is a bad thing? Hmm. And every single time without fail, they said no. And after doing years and years of research on the negative health effects, on how loneliness is uh, like it is is a, um, associated with uh, heart disease, with cardiovascular issues. Um, it's often you know comorbid with depression, with anxiety, with so many negative health effects. To hear people say no, it's not a bad thing. That floored me. And the way they would go on to say that loneliness is like pain or like hunger, and it's something that everyone experiences. And all it does is tell you that there is a need that is not being met. Hmm. When you get hungry, you eat. When you are in pain, you figure out what's causing you pain and you stop doing that thing or you do your best to fix it. And when you're lonely, you turn to coping mechanisms or at least you recognize that, hey, maybe I need more interaction and maybe I need to see other people. And maybe I need to actually fill what what I referred to loneliness as was this lack or loss of meaningful connection. So maybe I need to seek more of that meaningful connection. And it was wild to think about. So now to that's so I'm resisting just turning the rest of the episode into a conversation around that because I'm like, oh, I have so much. So I recently <laughs> discovered character.ai. Someone shared that with me and I went on and okay. I clicked I clicked the psychology one. And all of a sudden now I'm chatting with a psychologist and I just read the book, The Body Keeps the Score about trauma and really the understanding of even the difference between PTSD versus childhood trauma. And it was a a heavy, heavy book. A friend of mine's doing a psych degree and she shared it with me. So I said, hey, I just read this book and I'm really curious about XYZ. And all of a sudden I start having a dialogue with, and it says right on the top of the screen, all answers are made up. This is not a real person. But when I say, where are you getting this from? I have three degrees. I did this. And the, the, the character in this AI, driven environment was communicating with me and defending its credibility. It would have been so easy to just go, oh, this is my new friend, the psychologist on character.ai. When all of a sudden yeah. I ran out of credits and I had to then pay, I was like, oh, well, that feels kind of cheap. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, no, neither here nor there. But it was a very yeah, interesting yeah. moment. So when you get to the concept of, a, would that be a coping mechanism? And then in therefore, what would infer the risks or rewards that could come from that? And I'm just picking one in a million probably option examples that I just stumbled on myself recently. <laughs> yeah, but, that, but that's actually a really fantastic example. And, and it kind of gets at it at some of the research that I that I done and some of the research questions that I asked and 
What I ended up finding when talking to people and when talking to experts is that, yes, we can have those companion uh, companion type AIs. They are no substitute for this the, the real thing. And everyone found that the the role that technology should be playing and that they would be comfortable with it playing and that it actually is able to do without hitting in some really weird, like uncanny valley uncomfortableness, is that a facilitator? So, okay, we have, you know, our nine different coping mechanisms, everything from spirituality to distraction, avoidance, denial, um, to going out and doing activities. What we found is that, or what I found, I should say, is that technology is a way to facilitate that, to say, okay, you know what? This person isn't showing signs of loneliness uh, and showing signs that they might be slipping a little bit. Like, let's, if we know that activity works, let's suggest that they go to a group class. Let's suggest that they go for a walk with a friend. Let's suggest that they go and do something active that's going to make them feel better and mitigate some of those negative side effects and potentially also get them around real people. And while AI and these AI agents are like what we call socially intelligent agents, so SIAs, they, yes, can definitely temporarily fill that void, but it's not going to be that same meaningful connection. And I love that you mentioned that it said, like, all of this is made up or none of this is real. And then talked about how the AI itself is just like, oh, I have these three degrees. This is something that's really And gave me detail, and- University of Toronto. I was in this class with this professor. Like it was, it was getting a little bit like, I'm like, this is verging in the uncomfortable zone right now. Because it's yeah, I see the red letters absolutely. here, but my brain, and we are notoriously guilty at believing <laughs> like that's part of our DNA as well. That's another kind mm-hmm. of, because if you didn't believe that the rustle in the grass was a lion, you probably get eaten. So we, the, the, our ancestors believed and they, and they, and they bought into these things. If you want to support that theory, I was struck. I had to force myself to go, whoa, this is not real. Like, what am I reading here? Like I was, I was fact checking my own brain and I was, this was five, four minutes in, <laughs> five minutes in. This wasn't hours and days of building. Like, you know, we've all, I think it was her with Joaquin Phoenix. We watched, wow, the, yeah. the slippery slope right there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but it is important to remember that, yeah, it's, it's not real. And this information that's being taken is from various places on the internet or various other data sources that may or may not have been sourced ethically and may or may not be free of bias. And by free of bias, I mean, they're definitely not free of bias. I was going to say, you mean 100% not free of bias? <laughs> 100% not free yeah. of bias. And it's something that we actually, that we that we, that we deal with on a day-to-day basis is how the media actually discuss and talk about mm. and report on advanced technology and on AI. And we always think of AI as being its own autonomous thing. It is its own thing that we can like you know give blame to or place praise on. AI did not just pop up out of nowhere. Oh, it's a byproduct of <laughs> people. Yeah. People made it. There are people that sat down and actually did the coding and actually did the setup and their biases are going to be embedded into how it's trained on data, et cetera. And people did do the training for these, like they trained the AI and the various models, whether it's using a human reinforced learning model, like we see with ChatGPT or various others, like these are people and people have biases. And those get poured into this technology that then is seen as being this great knowing thing that a lot of the times people don't recognize as full of bias and is just made by a couple people. And that's that's a really interesting space to play in when we when we look at how we train students even for the future. It's how do we make sure that we're still also setting them up to be good digital citizens and and making sure that yes, they get to obviously explore and develop these crazy new things, but are doing so in such a way that's not going to cause undue harm. In your study, thinking about, I love everything you said, 
a healthy individual with a healthy mindset and and the ability to discern not everyone who has now access and we'll just pick on chat GPT because it all of a sudden made it real for anybody with a computer or phone or whatever you want to interact with. You can get, not everyone maybe comes to that. And this is putting your humanities hat back on with a healthy sense of the world and lack of connection. There's so many factors and, you know, it's hard to talk about loneliness without talking about mental health and everything that how those two intersect in your course of your study. How much was that? Did you take into consideration as a healthy individual, I know I get sucked into things I quote unquote shouldn't just be careful not to shoot all over myself. But there's a lot of people, a lot of people I know that maybe, or even younger, some of my niece and nephew in late teens, not necessarily a fully um, evolved ability to go, well, wait a second, this is just a chatbot. How does that play into this? And just how much extra risk does that create kind of at a society level? Well, I think it speaks to just this need for an ethical approach to developing future technologies. And that was one of the main takeaways uh, from my work was, yeah, this is cool. And this is something that could be done. But if we're not doing ethically, should we be doing it? And if we're not approaching it with a people first mindset, should we be? So it's part of why, like, so so the approach I take is human machine communication and human centered design. And Mm. it's always putting people and their health and well-being at the center and the core of making these technologies because also like people aren't going to be impacted at the same level by these technologies. And we even talk about access, like, yes, we might have access to our phones and therefore access to chat GPT, but there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily going to have access to that yep. smartphone, which we're reliable internet connection. Cause in Canada, it's really expensive. And, and those things end up disproportionately impacting people. And then we see, these things kind of spiral out of control. So being an ethical digital citizen and also an ethical creator in this space, not just for content, but for creating the actual technology, like what we make is a part of the message itself. Like to quote McLuhan and get all academic up in here, the medium is indeed the message. Yeah. We, <laughs> I, we, I figured that's the one right? you were going to pull out right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, but so like what, what we are using and engaging with carries its own weight. And making sure that we recognize what that weight is and even just having an acknowledgement of it makes a difference. It's could, hard to do and hard yeah. to get on that broad scale, but... Because yeah. there's a big word floating around on over top of this is governance and who then is the universal body that says, this is okay, this is not okay. Because I'm not, you know what? I don't want to be jaded, but there's some people looking to make money in this whole game. <laughs> and that drives well, the whole, yeah. we've all watched, I think most of us have watched the social dilemma. And like, if you're not, if you're not paying for the, for, for the product, you are the product and all those, you know, this, we're all, like that, that still continues down the trend of, of, of influence and these things that now we find ourselves, I'll use the word addicted, which is a powerful word, oftentimes addicted to in unhealthy ways on our phone. And they're only getting more powerful. They already are, to your point. Like they already are super powerful at pushing our buttons because we push the button and it pushes us back. (laughs) I don't want to take up personal responsibility (laughs) in this either at all. This is not a blame conversation. But where does governance sit and where do you... Well, we're going down all kinds of weird rabbit holes here. I I knew it was going to be a good one. Yeah. So talk to me about governance and what what your thoughts on what that looks like maybe go forward. Mm. I mean, we obviously need it. Like that's, that's that's not even a question. And the trickiest part here actually brings us back to the beginning when we talked about how do you stay up to date in a world that's always changing. Mm. And it's by engaging a variety of people. If we take my my human-centered uh, method for, for doing this and for approaching governance, you need experts in the field who know what the technology is, 
what it's capable of, what it could be capable of, and how to use it. So you need your SMEs, your subject matter experts. That's that's number one. You also need people who are very knowledgeable in, in policy and in what governance should be and can be and the limits there. And that's so we're so we're getting into, you know, two dimensions. But then you also need stakeholders that are going to be impacted on a separate level. So I'm thinking not just people who are going to buy the products and who are going to engage with the products willingly, but those who are going to be impacted by them whether they want to be or not. Hmm. So okay. I'm thinking, think, think about it this way. Your neighbor buys a new stereo system and it is top of the line and it is beautifully loud surround sound. You are impacted by this person's stereo system. hundred <laughs> percent. If they decide to what play a great their example. music, well, well, yeah, because if they decide to play their music at 2 AM outside of having a governing body, like an HOA, maybe, I don't know if that even would work if, in, if you're in a condo or something, Outside of having them being like, hey, maybe don't play that loud music after 10 p.m. Or maybe we have some noise regulations, too, so that everyone can enjoy. Well, which, why uh, we have bylaws, why we have bylaw enforcement, why we have the, the, the hammer of call the police in the worst case scenario, which you really don't want that relationship with your neighbor. But I like, I like where no, we're going no, with this. Exactly. I like where we're pulling this one through. But, but the, does that make sense? Because you're a stakeholder. Whether you buy that software or not, or whether you yeah. buy that stereo you're impa- system you're back, Your point is you're impacted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so are the people who had to make that stereo system and whether or not they had to do it in or got to do it in uh, ethical conditions um, were the people who were making that new stereo system that is top of the line doing so in such a way that they were being paid a reasonable wage, able to work regular hours. And was it, or was it based off of, you know, $2 a day type of labor? That's also a part of this too, because when we look at stakeholders and who's impacted and who can be a part of the conversation around how do we create policy and, and look into governance, there's a huge amount from where do we source the materials to is your neighbor playing it at, at 2 a.m. And all of these people need to be in some way, shape, or form included in that conversation. So when we talk about AI, then this becomes an even bigger piece. So one way that we can stop or not stop getting around, but like one way that we can actually start looking at incorporating these perspectives of so many different people and recognizing, again, there's going to be a disparity of impact even within those groups of people is by teaching governance in AI. So when we're actually teaching artificial intelligence, making sure that we're talking about governance, making sure that we're talking about day-to-day operations and impacts and taking that human-centered lens. So it's it's really bringing it back to every time that we're putting experts out into the field, making sure that they also have additional knowledge that maybe they might not otherwise have been uh, given access to. Back to your original kind of your your own journey that it's not just about the tech. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fall in love with the tech, but also fall in love with its impact and the humanity. And when you look at where AI is evolving and like back again, the theme of of, of rapid and fast and it's been around for since the fifties, but feels like it's landing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's it's conspiring everything, the the computing speed, the power, their connectivity, it's all making it yeah. av- available to happen. Uh, companies that are driving this forward it always seems like the tech gets the light shined on it. Oh, because the technology is exciting. The technology is sexy and it's all these things. Are we putting enough? And I guess, is that a challenge for some of the companies that you involve, that you're aware of or that work with or that, that interact with that are at a large scale to really make sure they're taking into consideration the stakeholders and the policy piece versus just driving this am- amazingly exciting tech in its own little bubble of tech? <laughs> I'm going to answer this in a semi-roundabout way, but or maybe not, maybe it'll be more direct. (laughs) There is always room for more discussions of and consideration of governance and ethics. 
there's always room for more. And when we're growing at the exponential rate that is seen nowhere outside of nature, that that's just so like the exponential growth and which is going to continue for the foreseeable future, mm. making sure that those conversations happen continuously every day at the forefront is crucial. Oh, you do have some of the Yes, door. I do have a dog that all of a sudden just decided to uh, let her make her presence known. Yeah. Hopefully she'll wrangle herself in. Maybe no. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, someone's probably daring walk by, but anyways, we'll we'll keep we'll oh, keep going. Because how no. dare they? Yeah, I, yeah, yes, yeah. I know, I know. How dare they? Uh, and do you see that playing out that way? There's always room. And is is this an ESG conversation? Is this the G <laughs> from that perspective? Yeah, Not to is, use an overused acronym. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This is this this definitely gets into I think a bigger conversation that. Gosh, is 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 hard to have because it needs to happen between a lot of people, hmm. right? And and I don't have one answer on how we're going to do this the right way, and whether or not it will be the right way, because we might think it is, and then you know, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. Oh. People might look back in one hundred and fifty years and say, "Oh wow, you know, they really could have made a different choice on on how AI evolved," but we're we're caught up in it now right so it's just a matter of you know riding this wave and also trying to to harness it in a little bit Mm. i I think it's guaranteed that someone will look back 150 years ago oh my god what were they thinking because when when often do we not do that not always but it seems to be more more prevalent and i hope sometimes i look back a week later and go what was i thinking so i I think that (laughs) is part of the human journey and and it's okay especially when you've got something that is we're always learning and i I reserve the right to learn something new tomorrow that'll change my opinion about yesterday but that's my i just try to live with that philosophy and then not beat yourself up too much about the original thing you thought was true um yeah Chat GPT can't help but chat about uh, chat talk about it. Sorry, <laughs> that was not intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't help but chat about it because all of a sudden it came on the scene and it made something accessible that was maybe just a, words on a paper or a news or a news feed or something buzzy you were talking about. What what have you seen that was that a TSN turning point? Was that the watershed moment <laughs> where all of a sudden it's like wow, it is kicking off? And I've heard from some VCs and I've heard from some people and they kind of play in the picks and shovels uh, world of supporting AI, they're like, oh man, the need for data centers that can handle these size of GPUs, like it is blowing up because all of a sudden these companies are now getting big funding and they're like, we need to now make it happen. And there just isn't an infrastructure behind the scenes. I've heard some of those things recently and talked to a few of those companies. What are you seeing or what, you know, what, what are some of the, like, if you look at, you know, if we even fast forward a year from now, what's going on now because of that GPT, you know, water TSA turning point moment? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, so much, you know, no, we cannot understate the impact that generative AI has and is going to have on our society. Like I cannot understate it. Um, And we talk about access as well and how, you know, it's free for everyone to access. Well, it kind of is. They now have a system where you can pay $20 a month Yep. and get unfettered access to it. Now like, Oh goodness. Yay. I can access it. Take the, take the governor right off. Yeah. I can access it now like much faster and like, I won't get locked in. Cause of course, if you try to log on now, you know, depending on the time of day and the time zone, you may or may not have access because it might be full. Um, so it's interesting there, which kind and, of plays now, the scarcity model a little bit, which is a great marketing technique, but let's, let's not, we'll talk about that differently. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But you know, we've got something now that can write code and write code, like maybe not perfect, you know, could people do it better? Yeah, absolutely. But as it learns, it will also get better Yeah, because does it write 
passable code? Yeah, it does. And does it have, you know, fairly decent language? Yeah, it does. And it's very good at convincing you that what it's saying is correct. Um, mm -hmm. Is what it's saying correct? No, quite often not. And, and one of the ways I think about this is, you know, like if I'm asking it questions that I know the answer to because I've done this research, you know, because I have, you know, my, my advanced degree in this area or whatever it might be. And I say like, okay, define this. And then it gives me something way off base with an incorrect citation to a paper that has nothing to do with it. I'm like, okay, okay, not quite there yet, but it's based off of what it could scrape and find before 2018 or 2020. I thought it was 20 or 21. I was, yeah. I think it, it might be little, 21. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I, not, not in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah, know it is 20, it is 2021s. Uh, and I don't know why I keep jumping back to 2018, but yeah, it's, time it's, uh, right. I think that's when I started my degree. So I was like, ah, oh, yes, this time. <laughs> when the world, when everything else in the world went on pause. And exactly. You just everything else it. went away and it's, you know, it's still then. It's still, it's, it's only 2019 out of, you know. Um, <laughs> All is relevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it, it definitely, it, it only knew what it knew. And by being trained from, you know, data from the internet, it's obviously not unbiased. And, and, you know, that there's so much behind what it can tell you and what it can do. And that there's obviously lots of exciting areas that chat GPT and other generative artificial intelligence, like uh, softwares can do. Like there's, there's a lot of different options here, but uh, no, I definitely think this is, this was a big moment on a global scale from, from a public perspective, perspective, because again, like I mentioned earlier, we have AI impacting so many aspects of our lives already. So many aspects. Um, again, from maps to your phone writing to, your, to writing your email <laughs> and it finishes your sentences. And like and that's, like, and that all of a sudden just started, that just started sh right? showing up. And I'm noticing Grammarly yeah. is gradually shifting how I speak. I'll write something a certain way and it'll correct me. And I'll be like, well, do I want to take that correction? Or do I want to go, yeah. no, this is the way I wanted to say it. But sometimes you're like, well, you know, okay. I, it's, it's very easy to f just fall in line. And, and that's maybe yeah. even, even dangerous the way I said that. But I mean, there's, there's mm -hmm. fantastic uh there's fantastic research being done by linguists out there as well on how grammarly is you know shaping the direction that our languages go right so I, I think it's i think it's fascinating and very very interesting and yes i think it's this big moment but again there's there's a lot of big moments and a lot of them don't get as much headlines or press because they're not as uh public obvious. public public yeah. facing was a big factor with this one mm -hmm. yeah exactly exactly and and i mean it also brings in the art like art and art generative ai what we saw with lens off was one example mm -hmm. or various others that are going to shift how we create and interact with art and it's something that's also very contentious in in the artist's world but also in the ai world is should we be using ai to actually generate art does it take away from artists can it steal from artists is it going to be taking their uh what, what is essentially their ip how do we train it then in a way that that's that's not gonna take from them? So yeah, there's there's a lot of different crazy ways that it's it's being used, and it could really have a huge impact. And it comes back to governance. With great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. Always try to work in a, a, a Spider-Man <laughs> quote to every episode. Well, no, maybe that's the first, maybe that's the second time I've used that one. Um, 
where do, what gets you really excited? Like, what where do you see? Like, living in the world that you live in, you obviously have a passion and a drive, and like, oh yeah, like just clearly an excitement and an energy that supports what you do. I would I would imagine, and getting to know you a little bit, I would I'm boldly thinking that that's the case. When you see yeah. like, where is this thing going to go? Like, sure, it got released to the public. We can all go on and fool around, ask it questions, and play around with it. But unless you have a real like use case or a way to work it into your workflow, the novelty can wear off. But this yeah. sets the stage for kind of what's coming next. What's your crystal wall look like with some of the things that you go, wow, okay, we're going to now build on this and it's going to be this in X amount of time or, you know, no, we won't need to pick dates and timelines, but broad yeah, strokes, yeah. what does this set us up for next in your mind? Well, I think I'm, I'm an eternal optimist in this area to a degree, uh, or I would say a critical optimist in this area. I think there's definitely a lot of ways that things could go off the rails or things could have incredible consequences there's also so much potential. There's so much potential for good here. And one of the ways that I, I, I think about that and I think about the good is, is people refer to AI often as a mirror, right? It reflects society. And I mm. challenge that by saying that AI is a magnifying glass. Mm. Uh, whatever you are looking at, it will blow up exponentially. So whether it be if you're feeding it data on garbage, it's going to give you an entire landfill. But if you are looking at scale, at, at scale. yeah, I know it's so, so, so huge. But if you're feeding it really quality data and asking it really good questions, you have the potential to solve some really big problems mm-hmm. and taking an ethical approach and looking at this and seeing how we can potentially integrate it into so many systems that really could use the help is, is one of the ways that I see this happening. And okay. there's this big worry, of course, that, you know, robots could take our jobs and AI could take our jobs. But in reality, if we're able to integrate it into these jobs, we then have the chance to, we then have the chance to maybe make those jobs easier and maybe find new solutions. And like one area I'm seeing this is in healthcare and identifying cancer in patients. Mm-hmm. Right? I saw. AI's I think I saw a clip, to, or yeah. I saw something on that yesterday, actually, mm-hmm. or like it was an early yeah. detection example they were they were showing in the in the in the article. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. Or being able to scan X rays and having X ray techs be able to train AI so that you can scan X rays, still get a human eye on it, but say, hey, that mass looks pretty bad. Maybe we should check it out before people can necessarily notice or recognize that that might be a problem. And we see huge potential in healthcare there. Uh, to like potentially save lives mm-hmm. and even in businesses, finding ways to optimize systems to be more eco-friendly, right? So there's, there's so many different ways that AI can be used and leveraged in our existing systems with the correct training, of course, and with the correct perspectives to, to then help and, and do things in a way that's, that's more efficient and causes less harm and potentially does more good. So, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a really big potential here and, with anything that's going to be this sort of magnifying glass, you know, we have, we have really, really big opportunities and really big consequences. So mm. I was in, I encountered one yesterday, two days ago, a friend of mine was invested is it runs a, runs a fund focused on ag tech and it was a AI driven mm-hmm. uh, application for herd management doing anything from chicken pigs, whatever you have. And it uses yeah. uh, image recognition to identify which animals are looking lame. Like this is, and it can be on a fence post in a field now because we have uplink uh, capabilities from the middle of nowhere, from a connectivity perspective to then process and be able to look at and manage herd health and say, and, and quality using an AI that 
it's recognizing and learning what's a healthy animal and what's an unhealthy animal and what are all the factors. And that's an oversimplified version. But you think of that, you're like, wow, you take something that literally you, the farmer would have to go out to the field and look at every animal, which is not really a feasible uh, way to do it. And then do that at scale when we look at food scarcity and like, as you go, oh, if that gets better, how does that fall down the line with prices at the grocery store or even just, you know, food scarcity, which we learned was a very real thing uh, through regionality and during COVID, a lot of things like that, where I'm like, oh, wow, yes, from an ethical perspective, but now we're putting it into the food chain, which ultimately will deliver a better end product to the consumer and maybe hopefully make it maybe more cost effective or accessibility and cost, obviously two key factors when it comes to a human right, which is the ability to get access to food. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Those kind of things, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I, I appreciate working through and understanding all the human implications, but I can't even begin to understand all the areas it's starting to show up. <laughs> yeah. And yes, and, yeah, huma- and humans are a part of it, but not always, <laughs> like not directly well, maybe is the way to say that. <laughs> yeah. And then we might be impacted, but we might not necessarily see or be a part of like the, the behind the scenes uh, actions there. And yeah. And then and, and I think about, of course, like bringing it back to like my career and my job here, like in education, like the potential for AI and education and how we can integrate it into various different areas. And I know there was some concern with chat GPT and students potentially cheating or using it. I to saw cheat that. Yeah. When, yeah. When in reality, I mean, here's an opportunity to change our assessment types to get an authentic assessment. Uh, I love that. I love that. So let's not just point at this. Let's think about how we do X, then change Y. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're asking a student, you know, tell me this and they use ChatGPT to write the paragraph. Well, okay. You say, good, you've you've got that paragraph. What's right about it? What's wrong about it? What would you challenge? How would you change it? What would you ask in order to get a more specific answer? How would you fact check it? And you get them to really critically think and then suddenly you've managed to teach the actual topic. Right. So there's, there's a chance to really, there's a chance to use it and there's different opportunities in different ways. And even if it's down to writing code, Hey, get chat GPT to give you six lines of code on this or however many lines of code on this. All right. How would you optimize that? How would you do it better? What would you either ask it or how would you fix it? And how would you, how would you bring you to that? Not just regurgitating and pushing. And that's what I've found it as an interesting thinking partner. Like, Oh, especially in marketing and like, Hey, here's the situation. Give me some, give me three headlines. And then you're like, Oh, okay. I don't like that one. That's garbage for this reason. But then all of a sudden, but it got me 60, 70% of the way there, which then allowed me to then really do versus, you know, sometimes starting with a blank page is really hard (laughs) when it comes to content. But if you got a thinking partner that you can just beat up and it's not, they're not going to get offended if you don't take their stuff. Well, that's okay too. That's, that's also going to be a really good, if you use it in the right context, just at a simple level. Mm. yeah exactly exactly no, do you think you mentioned the jetsons earlier and yeah. we've all we've always and here's this a random question um and you said something because I, I i also support the theory that this will change the way we do our work but ultimately if it takes away some of the mundane tasks whatever that may be in your in context of your role and allows you to do the higher order the thinking does this ultimately then lead to giving us that free time the technology has always promised to give it give us from the jetsons <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, that's definitely <laughs> it's a that random definitely question to pin you on right at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely the optimistic, the optimistic perspective and the optimistic question, right? Um, because at, at the end of the day, work will prevail and will shift. Will it give us free time? Maybe. <laughs> will we? Will we free? Will Johnny, we optimism free over here. <laughs> well, I mean, will will we fill that free time with different work that is also meaningful and can then? You know, maybe maybe I spend less time doing data entry and more time thinking about potential future options that we can leverage this for, and then yeah. implementing it differently. I think, 
I think it just changes the nature of work. It doesn't necessarily remove it, right? Yes, I yeah. So maybe little, we don't have more, more free time. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. Any more, any a little more sense of pride and purpose because maybe I'm not doing that thing of like, oh man. And and I felt so fine. And I've been chatting with a few individuals working in a variety of industries that are, I'd say, long-standing industries. All of their new hires are like, hey. Um, there's got to be a better way than me manually entering into the spreadsheet. Like what's going on here? You guys need to get your systems together. Like the demand yeah. is starting to get, and these are legacy, but, and then the CEO is like, but that's the way we've always done it, which is kind of a death strike in my mind. And, <laughs> but you've got now a, a new workforce that goes, Hey, you can automate this. Like, what are you doing? Cause I want to do this work. Yeah. This is why I got into this career. So I'm seeing the demand being placed on some of those businesses and just happen to be business owners. I know that they're like, yeah, I know we just, we just haven't had time to make it better, but it's being demanded now at a level that it will cost you good, good team members, good employees. Yeah. Is it, and again, is it, is it, are we getting more free time or are we getting more time to do something that we're passionate about? Yeah. And that's, right? I think what we all kind of like, ultimately that's where that sense of reward and connection comes from, right? Pride and purpose. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm a company listening to this and I'm kind of overwhelmed of all the topics that you and I have talked about today. <laughs> yeah, we but if, if I've got AI on my roadmap and sometimes it's just a word on a roadmap and I don't, I don't want to minimize, yeah. there's a lot of companies out there doing big work. It's hard. It's challenging. It's tricky. Any framework or thinking process you would give to somebody in a leadership role that's listening to this podcast going, okay, I, I need to learn more. I need to know more. I need to do more and I need to bring this back to my tribe so we can do something with it. Any framework or any thinking structure that you would put out just to help kind of put things in the right buckets at at a very early stage? Yeah. I mean, I mean, step one is just engaging with your team and saying, Hey, what is it that you are doing right now? that could be automated and that could be, could be done potentially by something else so that we can get you focused on something that would make, that make your job more fulfilling. It's really bringing it back to people and thinking like taking a step back, even before you approach that, but like taking a step back as a leader in your career, in your field, whatever that field might be and thinking, okay, what is it that this can do for my team? That's going to give them that sense of purpose. And that's going to end up increasing retention because because at the end of the day, is it going to replace some of the menial day-to-day tasks? Yes, but you still have these people with incredible skill that you've hired for, you know, a multitude of reasons. Here's the opportunity to get them to really leverage those skills in a new way. And if it's a matter of implementing and and setting up uh, AI and and making sure that that's that's present in your workforce, then then there's a chance to really look to, look to the future and say okay how do we hire for this where are the skills and you know maybe somewhere down the line you can turn to sate and look to our friends <laughs> oh well done well done see <laughs> thank you Lauren, nice I, knew, I knew there was a marketer tied in there somewhere um yeah, yeah, yeah don't forget to give us a call and check out our website <laughs> by now yeah, by now you've realized that sate is the place you should go to by now um yeah, yeah. but it is i love what you said start with people start with people first what's going to elevate that sense of purpose and also just the discipline of starting to bring this into a, to an organization in a way that is a compliment and it's maybe feels like your idea your idea being the team member who sometimes gets dictated what's going to be the next thing you focus on if you yeah. don't have your fingerprints on it i don't care if i'm if i'm delivering a marketing program or a big campaign idea and all half the people in that room or three quarters of the room don't see their fingerprints on it that idea is not going forward it's not getting approved <laughs> you know and i don't care if you call that politicking or, or or just properly engaging your team i think this more than ever uh, fear can easily come first in lack of knowledge mm-hmm. and, and i'm actually doing a presentation to my team on 
uh, Thursday this week on just chat JPT and, you know, AI in general. And so I was, that was maybe a self-serving question. I didn't realize until after I asked it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I've got this in my calendar yeah. on Thursday just to have an open dialogue. Because I, I sent a quick poll out and half our team didn't really know what it was. The other, another third was like, well, yeah, but it's this and they're going to steal this and you have to give them your... I'm like, okay, wow, we just need to have a leveling of what's going on. And then yeah. oh, maybe replace fear doesn't mean that you need to run and go use the tool afterwards. But at least appreciate that it's out there and, it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be alongside you somewhere more than you already realized to your earlier point. It's already yeah. there. It's already in your pocket. It's yeah, already, yeah, it's already yeah. listening and watching. Uh, Lauren, any, any last words uh, you'd like to leave with it? <laughs> last words, this sounds so formal. Any last oh, words you'd yeah, like yeah, to yeah. give us here before you sail off into the, to the sunset? We covered a lot from ph- the philosophical side to the human side to the technology to what you're excited about. Um, what's kind of your guiding light and your mantra that keeps you really focused and, and maybe not overwhelmed with all that's going on? I mean, I won't lie. I, of course, get overwhelmed just like everyone else. <laughs> I mean, especially if, you know, this is an area that I'm, I'm trying to maintain currency and expertise in and or even just achieve currency and expertise in because, gosh, it feels like day to day. It's it's a constant chase. Um, but no, it's it's that hope that, you know, the, the students that we're preparing and that the people that we're preparing for this future are, you know, we've got a good group coming up after us who who really are engaged with this and who who care. And this idea that, you know, maybe we can just put people first in this, in this interaction with, with this new technology. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just people, it's just people, which at the end of the day is what brings us back for, for all, for all of these new technologies, they're nothing without the people behind them and, and keeping that in mind. That's it. I love it. Lauren, what's the best way for people? There's a million ways, but what's your preferred way I should say for people to get a hold of you if they want to reach out? Yeah, um, for anything related to education and, and state work, um, please feel free to, to contact me at my state email, which is just laurendwyer at state.ca. Otherwise, um, I've got LinkedIn, Lauren J. Dwyer, and my website also, laurenjdwyer. Nice, uh, so done. Yeah, gonna, you know, I, I have I'm not really checked out your website. I'm going to go check that one out. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it may or may not be up to date. We'll see. We'll see how much time I've got to. to the keep sho- the shoemakers' kids always have holes in their shoes. Like, I get it. And I've yeah. yet to meet a company that isn't like, oh yeah, I know I do this, but I'm just having the time to update my own stuff because I'm too busy doing yeah. the thing. Lauren, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, for anyone still listening, so Lauren's going to be at Mesh coming up here in a few weeks in April. We're going to get this episode out beforehand. I'm also going to be there, so please come and join us. And I'm really really excited for what you're going to share with the audience uh, at Mesh. And I love today's conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. 